Okay, this stuff is too too in the weeds. <laughs> we can't. No, we can't. We can't say this. Hello, Stellar Community. Welcome to the third episode of the Stellar Community Podcast. Uh, For those unfamiliar, Stellar is an open financial network built for speed and efficiency. With over 4 million accounts and a 5-second ledger close time, Stellar is the right choice for your financial service or application. Join us each week as we discuss the news, applications, and developers building the future of finance on Stellar. This week, we are joined by Colton to do a Dev Digest roundup. We'll be covering the SCF, Stellar Community Fund, which recently... Uh, concluded round three, talking about StellarX and their new Bitcoin and Ethereum anchors, uh, multiplexed accounts, what those are and how they affect us, and the testnet reset was reset uh, yesterday, so we'll we'll cover that a little bit, and the Horizon 1.00 release. Before we get too far though, let's have Colton give us a recap on what the Dev Digest is. Yeah, so the Dev Digest is a weekly newsletter that I put out every Monday. And it basically, like you kind of mentioned, covers all the latest news, uh, releases, updates, all that good stuff that's going on around the Stellar ecosystem. In particular, we'll be covering issue number 27 and issue number 28 in this episode from the date range like January 13th-ish to January 27th. So it's about two weeks. And we'll try to touch on all the highlights. Very cool. Let's let's talk about the Stellar Community Fund. So we've talked about this before on episode one. Uh, the Stellar Community Fund is a fund which allocates 3 million lumens once every three months. And there are eight projects um, which the community will submit for voting, um, resulting in these eight projects which receive a final vote. Uh, the votes will then be the method by which we split up those 3 million lumens. And so round three just recently ended. Uh, we had eight winners, uh, lots of lots of great winners here. You can go to stellarcommunity.fund and see who those are and the allocation of lumens that they each received. Uh, the next round will be starting up uh, probably in another month or so. We're, we're polishing up. We had a great last year, but there are a couple of items that we wanted to improve on and just expand this fund to maximize its potential. So be keeping an eye out for that. Uh, the Stellar Keybase channel, is stellar.public, is a great place to look out for that. And specifically, we have a channel dedicated to the community fund called Stellar. You guessed it, Community Fund. So if you want to keep up with news on when the next one's coming out, go there. Uh, Galactic Talk will be where Submissions will begin to flow in, so keep an eye out for that as well. So that would be the the Stellar Community Fund. So the next piece of news is that we have a new Bitcoin and Ethereum anchor on the Stellar network, and they go by Stablecoin Corp, powered by CoinSquare. You can find both of these assets listed on StellarX right now. There are currently free deposits and withdrawals, but I'll kind of let Tyler talk about what an anchor is and then why you might be interested in tokenizing Bitcoin or Ethereum on top of Stellar. So there's two kinds of concepts here. You've got asset issuers and then uh, the companies or entities where you can get those assets from and also send those assets to. So if I have a US dollar 
in my bank account? How do I tokenize it and get it onto a network? And then also take that token from the network and move it into back into my bank account. And the entities which accomplish that are anchors. They're asset issuers, which oftentimes the anchor and the asset issuer are the same thing. Um, but for our purposes, uh, explanation-wise, they can be different. So it's important to understand uh, them both separately. Where an asset issuer is simply that. It's a it's a it's an issuer which tokenizes something and issues an asset for it. Um, there's there's going to be a, an address on Stellar, which is the issuing address, and then the actual token BTC USD uh, EUR, uh, and then you can uh, acquire that euro, the Bitcoin, the USD, um, and move it around in the decentralized exchange. But then when it actually comes time to what we call on or off ramp that asset, so move it from your bank account to the decentralized exchange or uh, vice versa, then you're going to implement an anchor. Uh, so you're going to take that token and say, hey, Mr. Anchor, I would like to take this token and uh, move it to either this other external Bitcoin address or move my USD euros into my bank account. The, so that would be the explanation for what an anchor versus an asset issuer is. And so in this case, uh, it seems that Stablecoin uh, Core is, is taking these assets and tokenizing them, kind of acting as both the issuer and, uh, and the anchor. And the reason that you might, like the, the obvious question is, why would I take my Bitcoin and move it onto the Stellar decentralized exchange or onto any decentralized exchange as opposed to just keeping it in my wallet on Coinbase or Kraken? And there are a couple of answers to that. I think one of the more uh, obvious ones is once you have an asset in a decentralized exchange, you don't have to wait for that exchange to permission you to create markets or to buy some other asset with your Bitcoin. You can take your Bitcoin and immediately use it to create a market uh, for any other asset. So long as somebody's willing to pay you X for Y, uh, some, you know, some NFT or USD or whatever other token they have, and you have Bitcoin, you can immediately make that transaction. You don't have to wait for somebody to permit you to do that, which is uh, highly advantageous if you're a uh, a service provider and you want to create some token or have some token on your uh, application, you can immediately begin to accept Bitcoin if there is this on-ramp for users to take their Bitcoin and put it into the decentralized exchange and then you create a market which issues your asset or your token for their Bitcoin, then you can take their Bitcoin, they can take your asset and you can both at the end of the day take those and then use the anchor to go back to an actual Bitcoin address or USD address or whatever. But the advantage, obviously, that decentralized exchange, which allows you to do that in a uh, you decide, you pick the poison um, method, as opposed to waiting to Coinbase to accept this new market or uh, this new uh, pair. Uh, so that, that would be my answer to what an anchor is, what an asset issuer is, and then why you might choose to move your Ethereum, your Bitcoin onto a decentralized exchange. It just allows much greater interoperability on a case-by-case -case basis rather than waiting for some single entity to allow you to do that. Sweet. And this isn't really news, but it's been a popular discussion over the past several weeks, so we might as well cover it. But there's been a ton of discussion on the dev mailing list about how to solve the sort of, I forgot my memo problem. And it's kind of a reoccurring theme in the Stellar space every time um, we, you know, new members are coming in and they try to deposit their lumens or whatever else 
into an exchange and they forget their memo and it gets lost. But essentially, custodial exchanges share one account across multiple Stellar users. And they do this because they might not have the money to fund an account or fund an account with Lumens for each particular user. So they just share one. And the way they distinguish between users is via the memo. So whenever you deposit to, say, Coinbase, for example, you have to attach a unique a unique memo that specifies that th those are your funds that you deposited. And that solution isn't the most elegant because, again, it's really easy for users to forget, uh, forget to input their memo, or maybe they didn't even know they had to put their memo in in the first place. And so we've been you know, kind of sharing ideas back and forth about how we can actually solve this problem. There's been a couple of different solutions proposed, such as things like multiplexed accounts, or maybe handling it on the SDK side where it'll throw an error if you're sending it to an address and maybe a memo is required or something like this. So I was wondering if you had any favorites in this, Tyler, because I know consensus is split. Do we want to handle this on the, you know, the ecosystem front or do we want to handle it at the core protocol front? Sure. I think uh, first I'd like to back up just a little bit. When it comes to uh, discussions like this, uh, we need the ecosystem. We need the community to get involved in these discussions so that all aspects are being considered and we actually improve the network and don't just uh, hyper-focus on one particular use case and build something that's narrow and will have to be fixed later. Um, and I think this is a really good example of that discussion moving forward and lots of different proposals being suggested and the pros and cons of each one. And when it comes for, for me, when it comes to um, multiplexed accounts, which is the term we're using for a memo, or an account that needs a memo, or essentially you have a single account which is being split up, the usage of that is being split up via a memo. Um, I think we need to approach it in a in a non-intrusive way first, um, something that works and actually solves the the problem of users forgetting their memos but doesn't necessarily create a solution which may or may not either A, be implemented or B, actually solve the problem. So figuring out a way to solve it um, with as little friction as possible and then iterate on top of that if, if further iteration is needed. And it would seem to me not jumping straight to the core level would be good. We have a SEP, SEP23, which is attempting to address this issue. And then there's also um, a proposal for adding a account require or a memo required uh, flag to the TOML file. So Stellar entities have this TOML file, um, this basically configuration file, which gives hints um, as to how, what this entity, the Stellar entity is, how it operates, what functions it's serving. And so you could add this memo, excuse me, you could add this memo required field, which would essentially trigger, hey, if um, transactions are being sent to this address, make sure that a memo, uh, either memo ID or memo text is included in the transactions, uh, otherwise send an error. And that might, if, if the, if the problem is users forgetting their memos, that could help perhaps. Um, but it doesn't solve the problem of either a, a wrong memo being sent or B, uh, the memo, they, they don't know what the memo is. So it sends an error, but they're like, what do I, I don't know, what is, what's a memo? I have my address, why do you need a memo? What's a memo? Um, and so you you create kind of this UI that users have to enter two different things and it's hard to pass those, you know, addresses and memos around. Things can get lost in translation. Um, 
And so the proposal is to combine somehow the account and the memo together into some new type of account. And it does seem to me that maybe having those two things put together in a way that's transferable and then on the SDK level, so on the libraries that we actually use um, to translate uh, instructions into an XDR, into an envelope that we then pass into the network to just basically have this new kind of account, but it's not an account that's legitimate on the core or horizon side, but it's legitimate on the SDK side, which then just splits splits this address, which is a memo and an address into their two parts and then to submit it so that nothing's required either on the horizon or on the core side. And you could do something on the horizon side. It's a little bit easier to, manip to maneuver that. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. I don't personally know the best solution. I don't, in my application development, I don't deal with these um, multiplexed accounts. I each Each user might have its own um, account. So I may not be the best person to make these kinds of decisions, <laughs> but if if there are entities out there where, where multiplex accounts are something that's needed or what do you call it? Custodial accounts, um, right. custodial services. If you're one of those or um, your service provides that or that seems interesting to you, it would be a discussion you want to be involved with. Yeah, I think I think the one thing to note here, and you kind of brought it up earlier, is that this is a problem with many different solutions, and we want as many people providing their sort of input on this as possible, especially if it's relevant to the project that you're building, because you'll have the most sort of understanding and experience with this type of um, exactly. sort of setup. And so, yeah, we encourage everybody to participate in this conversation. We'll leave a link to the discussion in the show notes, so you'll be able to find it. Um, moving on from this. By the time this podcast comes out, the testnet reset will have already happened, but it, I think we should probably cover it just so we we kind of can explain what this means and then how it might affect people who are building on Stellar or whatever else. Um, so the testnet reset is whenever basically all ledger entries on the testnet are reset back to square one. And if you aren't familiar with, I guess, first off, we should establish, you know, what the testnet is and what the mainnet is. So the mainnet is where all of the real sort of stellar economic activity happens. Uh, this is where money is actually money. And then on the testnet, it's sort of meant for experimenting, um, maybe working on your project before production. You get to mess around with fake lumens, fake assets, all that good stuff, but in a way that simulates what would happen on the real network. And so periodically every once in a while the testnet is reset uh, just to keep it from getting bogged down to remove spam entries all of that good stuff um, the problem with this is that if you have a project uh, say you have a big market made and you're kind of experimenting with path payments or something and the testnet gets reset all of those markets get wiped all of your assets get wiped all of the accounts get wiped so there's a couple of different ways of handling this. I don't know, Tyler, you probably have some good experience building building apps on the testnet and having to deal with the reset. Is there any tips you have for handling that? It's really valuable to have in your own test environment the ability to start things up from scratch so that if you need to move um, to a different asset or reset things for a new um, environment, you have some method for getting things back up and running so you're not reliant on any particular setup or system. Um, so it's a good idea, irrespective of whether or not the testnet gets reset, which it does, but even if it didn't, this would be a good practice to have some methodology for setting back up your 
um, your accounts and any assets or trades that you might have. Um, and it's, it's not that difficult to do. It's just like it, with any testing, you have to keep it up to date and you have to almost build the tests before you build the services. Um, and this is something I encountered a lot when I was working on ColorGlyph is there's lots of trading going on and balances being kept and accounts on the ledger. And when those are all wiped, it can be a bit difficult to set those back up. Um, so what needs to happen and what I was working on or what I have been working on recently is uh, basically a, a testnet reset bot or um, service where you can send it your secret seed and it'll just take snapshots of your account and then whenever a reset is discovered, it'll just recreate your account back to whatever it was. So any um, signers that existed on your account, any signers that existed, any um, assets that were issued by your account, any trades that are open, uh, the weights of your account, all the different things basically that, a, that an account can have or have assigned to it, it just recreates that state just without all the history. Um, so building something like that would be valuable. I would also <laughs> just put a plug in for all of you SCF, Seller Community Fund uh, entrants out there. This would be a, a fantastic service to offer in the SCF. So something that resets. There was one that came out not too long ago that reset assets, um, but we need full account history archive resets um, where essentially you just send your testnet seeds to and any time a testnet is discovered, it resets that account. Basically automating the testnet reset so we don't have to build those scripts for every single application we build or every time we create a new account, um, it just keeps track of all that for us. So I would that would be a great service to see pop out of the SCF. I agree. It's kind of one of those things, a testnet reset can definitely be a headache if you are not prepared for it. So you should always be paying attention to things like Dev Digest or the developer mailing list. You usually get a warning, I think, uh, two weeks in advance is kind of the norm. And we try to make sure that everybody's, you know, aware that it's coming so you're not caught off guard. Otherwise, it might be super frustrating. So let's shift gears a little bit and talk about Horizon. So Seller has these two services, Core and Horizon. Core being that core database where all of the big things happen all the consensus protocols and the decisions that are being made for ledgers that get included and those get encoded into XDRs, but to actually make use of those XDRs and decode them into usable data inside of client applications, we have Horizon. Horizon being this client-facing API, server, and uh, REST API for the Stellar ecosystem. It acts as an interface between Stellar Core and these applications, client-side applications, that want to access the Stellar network. It allows you to submit transactions to the network, check the status of accounts, and subscribe to event streams. So like as things happen, kind of like a webhook, uh, it pushes all that data to um, whoever's using this uh, Horizon endpoint. We have a lot of SDKs. All of our SDKs implement this Horizon API. Um, so there's this big release that's coming out, this Horizon uh, 1.00 alpha. Um, so maybe, maybe Colm, you can just talk a little bit about that, and then I'm going to highlight a couple key uh, updates that are very exciting to me personally. Yeah, so back in August of last year, we sort of announced that Horizon would be switching over to this new ingestion engine. Uh, they start testing it back then, and now we've released 1.0.0 alpha, like you said. Uh, it was released 
on Friday, January 24th. And it's basically a preview of what things will kind of be like when that new ingestion engine is actually switched on. Uh, so it makes Horizon much more efficient and enables a lot of new key features that includes uh, a bunch of new endpoints, uh, many of which weren't possible with the previous ingestion architecture. It also includes an in-memory order book graph for rapid querying. And it also has the ability to run parallel ingestion over multiple hosts, which improves service availability for production deployments. And there's also a testing guide that came out alongside this. So if you're interested in testing the new Horizon release, that guide is available and you can check it out. We'll make sure to put it in the show notes. Yeah, one of the endpoints that came out that I've needed for a long time is a slash accounts endpoint, which is going to allow you to filter accounts uh, that have a given signer or trust line to an asset. So you'll be able to say, hey, show me all the accounts which are trusting USD from Anchor USD. There's no way to do that right now. So you have to use either your own um, Horizon endpoint. So you have to spin up your own Postgres database that's doing this ingestion and then ping it yourself. Um, or use something like Astrograph's um, API, but even their accounts, um, you have to include a list of accounts. So it's not particularly straightforward right now how to get a list of accounts um, for a particular signer or trust line. So that's going to that's be huge. But then also that offer book um, ingestion and speed increases are going to, it's just going to be insane for those that are maintaining large order books and need to query large amounts of data on those order books. Um, just going to allow a lot more flexibility and you're going to be able to jump right into uh, building your interface or building your application without having to spin up all of your own um, watcher nodes and then writing Postgres queries. You'll just be able to continue to use the Horizon API that you're already familiar with. Those speed improvements and decoupling from the core and the Horizon endpoint or uh, databases is going to be really big. So definitely check those out if you're a service provider already within Horizon. Um, there's a collection of uh, these SDKs that are going to need to be updated. There are some breaking changes here. So you'll want to be familiar with what those are. And for those who are eager or have some time to look through some of our open source um, community maintained uh, SDKs to, to look through um, some of the, the fixes and updates that will be required to keep those up to date with uh, this, this, this big Horizon update. Uh, yeah, so that wraps up this week's episode of the Stellar Community Podcast. If you're in San Francisco, yours truly will be hosting a How to Build a Wallet workshop in San Francisco at the Cloudflare offices. You should definitely go sign up for that. For more information about Stellar and the future of decentralized finance, visit Stellar.org. And get involved in the discussion in one of our active communities on Keybase at Stellar.public or Stellar Stack Exchange. Until next time, I'm your host, Tyler Vanderhoeven. We'll catch y'all later.